Thank you, Ivan. I think he's doing a pretty good job, too. Amen. And Jewel, it's good to see you back. How are you? Wow. Numero uno, huh? Praise the Lord. Well, let's take our Bibles here, and uh, we're going to be going to the book of Genesis. Um, tonight, I'd like to um, talk about another one of the names of God, and uh, that... Uh, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I guess it is now, I spoke on the, uh, the name Elohim. And um, tonight we're going to look at the word, the name El Shaddai. We're going to look at that tonight. So let's uh, begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we ask that you'd please help us to understand something more about you. And truly, Lord, through all eternity, we'll be learning things about you. There's no end to your greatness. Our Heavenly Father, please bless us with receptive hearts. Keep back any and all distractions from us, Lord, that we can concentrate tonight. Help us to put uh, troubling thoughts far from our minds and just to pretend that we're in your presence. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, El Shaddai happens to be very popular these days. There's a number of organizations that go by that name. And uh, a quick study on the Internet shows that uh, El Shaddai, number one, is the name of a charismatic Catholic sect in the Philippines, which has a phenomenal following of between three and seven million people. It centers on its leader, Mike Velarde. Uh, number two, El Shaddai... Uh, World Ministries is another charismatic church group located in U Uganda, East Africa. Number three, El Shaddai is also the name of a bed and breakfast inn located in the town of Cambridge, England. Number four, there's an El Shaddai Institute of Applied Theology located in southern Ontario. Uh, number five, there's an El Shaddai Homeschooling Association located in Florida. Number six, there's an El Shaddai horse breeder located right here in British Columbia in the Thompson Valley. <clears throat> Number seven, there's a popular song entitled El Shaddai sung by Christian rock and roll singer Amy Grant. Number eight, uh, there's a name of a computer store in South Africa, El Shaddai Computers. And number nine, there at least used to be a TV show in the U.S. called El Shaddai. <laughs> I'm sure there's many more things that carry that name. Now, El Shaddai is translated in our Bible as God Almighty. It's a combination of El, which is God, the strong one, and Shaddai, uh, translated Almighty. It's used 48 times in the Old Testament. Listen to this, 31 times alone in the book of Job. Very interesting. Now, with your Bible open at Genesis, let's go to chapter 17. Genesis 17. So follow with me, verses 1 and 2. It says, and when Abram was 90 years old and 9. So how old was he? 99, right. Dear old brother Tommy Walker didn't make it to 99, but he did make it to heaven. Amen. And uh, 93, 93 years young. Wow. 
Abram here made it to 99. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. And here we have uh, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And so the uh, 13 years had elapsed from chapter 16, verse 16, to chapter 17, verse 1. 13 years had gone by. Remember that Abraham lived to be about 175 years of age. So that's pretty old, I'm told. And so here he is, 99, and God comes to him and is uh, sort of confirming his covenant with him. Remember, God had promised that he would give him a son of his own. You remember that? And that, that was real key, very important, because God was using Abraham to build a nation through which he could reach the world. That was the whole idea of Israel. They failed miserably, mind you, but uh, this was God's plan. And uh, he's been faithful to his plan today. There are many that don't believe Israel is part of God's plan anymore. Uh, many of the uh, Calvinist churches believe in what's called replacement theology, which means the church has replaced Israel. And that all of the promises made to Israel now belong to the church. And Israel is completely gone, out of it completely. Martin Luther made a lot of overtones to that end. So although Martin Luther was saved, there, uh, he had uh, some uh, screwball theology in there somewhere. But those are the days of the Reformation, and these guys came out of Catholicism. And Catholicism largely had this um, replacement theology kind of thing. Uh, Calvinism uh, got its birth out of um, out of Catholicism. There's a lot of similarities there between those two uh, belief systems. Anyhow, uh, we believe that God has not given up on Israel, that Israel is still the apple of God's eye, even though the apple may have a worm or two in it. And uh, Israel is set on the back burner. It will be brought forward to the front burner one day soon. And in this in-between time, we have the church age, which is where we find ourselves. And so God was... Uh, uh, he chose Abraham and was getting him ready and preparing him so that he could uh, have a son. Um, but if you'll notice once again, El Shaddai is right there <clears throat> in the middle of verse 17. Let's look at it, uh, verse 1, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord, that would be a translation of Jehovah. We'll get to that one day. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. This would be like Shaddai El or El Shaddai. It's that idea, the almighty God. So God is revealing himself here and his power to Abraham. That's very interesting. And we're going to come back to this context here. Um, how many have ever read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament? Raise your hand if you've ever read the book of Ruth. That's just about every single hand, I guess. If you've never read the book of Ruth, you're doing yourself a disservice. It's a marvelous book. And so Naomi and her husband, uh, they leave Israel because there's a famine. They go over to Moab, and the boys marry these uh, Moabite girls. And anyhow, the boys die. Naomi's husband dies and all that. And so Naomi decides to come back. Ruth comes back with her. 
It, now, it's an exciting story we don't have time for tonight, but when Naomi got back to town, the women folk got around her and said, oh, it's Naomi, which means, you know, pleasant and blessed of the Lord and that sort of thing. And uh, as soon as they said that, uh, in chapter 1 and verse uh, 20, she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. That's what it means, bitter. Because she says, for the Almighty, and she uses Shaddai there. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. So she was of bitter spirit. Now, there's reasons for that, and we'll see if we can mention that a little bit later. But I want you to see something a little bit odd. Now, uh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now that I spoke on Elohim. How many were here for that? Raise your hand if you were here for Elohim. And do you remember what Elohim means? Can't hear you. Anyone? Anyone have their notes? Hmm? It means this, hmm? the mighty one. Who said that? Oh, Pastor Devian. Well, he doesn't count because he's a pastor. He's, he knows those things anyhow, right? He's been through BCBC, so he knows all that stuff. But yeah, it means the mighty one, the putter forth of power, like as in the almighty God. And so we have what appears a little bit odd here because Elohim is translated as uh, uh, like uh, an almighty, almightiness. And now here we have El Shaddai, which also seems to be translated as almighty God. So you see, we've got two different Hebrew names of God that both appear to mean the same thing, right? Now, why would that be? Hmm? Um, imagine... Um, Let's see, now the name John is very popular. Uh, we would say John in English. What are, what's some exact duplicates of John in other languages? How about French? Jean. Did we get that one right, Pastor Devian? At least we got one right. Okay, so why, you know, what, what's another one? Ivan, that's right, Ivan. There's a couple of languages actually that use Ivan. Yeah, uh, any other? Juan, yeah, there's another one. Can you imagine if some parent, a mother or father, named their son Juan Jean John? <laughs> Essentially, what they've named their son is John John John. Why would anyone do that? We have here what appears an oddity because we've got these two different Hebrew names of God, but they both seem to uh, eke out the idea of the Almighty One, the Powerful One. Isn't that interesting? There's got to be some difference there. There's got to be a difference. And I believe there is. And um, Elohim, of course, is plural. If you'll remember that, we studied that. The All-Powerful One. It's certainly evident in creation, isn't it? With God's power in creation. Um, but many Bible scholars believe that the difference between the two words lies in the fact that in God's dealings with Abraham and Abraham's special conditions, remember in chapter 17, verse 1, some of his conditions are revealed here. His great advanced age, he's, he's 99, he's beyond the capability of being able to father children. I mean, that's over now, that's gone. Uh, on top of that, his dear wife, Sarah, uh, she's way beyond the ability to conceive and to uh, bear children. So you've got the two of them. 
uh, now he's 10 years older than she is. So if he's 99, how old is she? 89. Can you imagine an 89-year-old or a 90-year-old woman giving birth? Boy, if that hit the newspapers, everyone would say, oh, wow, how in the world? That, that's just unbelievable. But even if she gave birth, how could she ever take care of it? Because uh, a 90-year-old woman um, doesn't have the same strength that a 25-year-old woman has. Agreed? Yeah, this sounds reasonable, right? Sure, yeah, I would go for that. So we've got special circumstances going here. And many Bible scholars believe that because of these special circumstances that uh, God re required to use supernatural power to bring about the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham of having a son. And so God used supernatural power, which caused nature to perform contrary to its natural laws. Because by the time you hit 90 and 100, your days of you know, conceiving and bearing children are long gone. And so those are natural laws. Uh, in fact, even in, you know, the 40s uh, and 50s, often many, many people are no longer able to have children, even if they wanted. Some, you know, there's always exceptions there. But by the time you get up to the age of Abraham and Sarah, boy, you got a problem. And it's not a problem for Almighty God, Right. Amen? If Almighty God can give babies to a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother, I'm sure that Almighty God can do other miracles for his church here in, you know, Surrey. Amen? Sure thing. We just saw one, didn't we? By the way, can I take a moment and direct your attention to the back wall? Oh, look at that. Isn't that look beautiful back there? There's the map of the world. And I stood there a few minutes ago with, with uh, Pastor Silver, and I said, uh, now you'll notice that all of these things have graduate lines on them. 1,000, 3,000, 5, 7, 9, 11. See that? That's just for our help there to be able to, because we're going to start filling these things in. And I said to Brother Silver, I said, where's the Philippines? And he looked and he said, it's at $5,000. <laughs> so that's one way to find yourself. But uh, that wasn't what I had in mind. Anyhow, remember, here's all of the cards people that give monthly. And if you've filled in a monthly card, your card is up there, folks. Here's all that put in for yearly, one lump sum yearly. And here's all that put in for weekly. Now, you've got to do the math here, but it works out to 9813.83 per month on average. And so we'll have the fun of plotting that. Now, let me see. If that's 9, that'd be 9.5. So we should be somewhere near the top across there, fairly consistent. We'll probably loop down and up and things like that. But it's a lot of fun. And that is a miracle to see what God did for our little church. If we were a church of 20,000 people, oh, well, we're going to take on another 30 missionaries. Well, that sounds like pocket change for a church of 20,000 people. But for a church of 200 people, why, that's, that's a big chunk of change. And only God can do that. Hallelujah. God's in the business of doing miracles. That's why he's called here Almighty God, because he has all might. That's why he's almighty. And so, anyhow, um, Bible scholars believe that there's something more than just almighty 
God here. Now, Scripture seems to support this idea in the account of God's dealings here with Abraham and Sarah. We know from God's word that in spite of the natural laws, Sarah indeed gave birth to Isaac. And he was a healthy boy, too. He wasn't sickly, and he didn't die after a few days. He was a healthy baby boy. God is able to do this. However, many Bible scholars believe that the meaning of Shaddai goes deeper or further, let's say, than just Almighty. There's something more. Now, I'll give you an idea here. Back in the 3rd and 2nd centuries B.C., a group of Jewish scholars got together. They translated the Old Testament into Greek. And this version is called the Septuagint. I've got a copy of it on my shelf in my library. Now, when these scholars came to the Hebrew name Shaddai, they looked through the, the Greek uh, vocabulary and they chose the Greek word ikanos, Ikanos, which is more of an adjective, um, and it mean, which actually Shaddai is an adjective too, but Ikanos means sufficiently strong, or listen to this, all sufficient, all sufficient. And you can see, if you think about it, you can see a correlation between almighty, all the might, and all sufficiency. And it's, it's sort of a similarity there. Now, Consider the fact that the Hebrew word shad, that's the root word of shaddai, shad. It's used 24 times in the Old Testament, and it's always translated, now don't blush here, but it's always translated as breast. So what in the world does that mean? In the same way, listen carefully, the same way that a mother's breast is all sufficient for her newborn's nourishment, God is all-sufficient for his people. Hence, when we combine El with Shaddai, we have Almighty God, basically, who pours out sustenance and blessing. The idea here is that God is everything we need. This, I think, is what they're getting at. He's more than just Almighty, He's everything we need, folks, all of our needs. Now, let's take our Bible and we'll go to Genesis 49. Genesis 49. <clears throat> We have here Jacob giving blessings to his sons just before he died. And starting in verse 22, he talks about Joseph. Now, when we get to verse 25, look at this. Even by the God of thy father. Now, capital G, little o, little d is Elohim. That's how the translators of our King James Bible wanted to communicate the name Elohim. God with capital G. So even by the God or by the Elohim of thy father who shall help thee and by the Almighty, that's the word Shaddai. And by the Almighty, the Shaddai, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessing of the breasts and of the womb. There you go. There's the connection right there. He's not just Almighty. He's all-sufficient. 
The idea of Shaddai, the root word, Shad, meaning breast. And here is God saying he's going to bless with all these blessings from above and blessings from the deep and blessings of the breasts and of the womb. So here we have a God, an amazing God, who's telling us here that he is able to meet all of our needs. He's our one-stop source for all of our needs. Now, you might think, well, that, that's almost a no-brainer. I mean, we, you know, that's, he's God. Ah, but wait, in practice, what do we often do? As soon as we cut our finger, do we run to God? No, we, we run to the medicine chest. Or if we break a bone, do we run to God? No, we run to the, the emergency ward. Or if someone sends us a threatening letter or says, I'm going to sue you, do we run to God? We run to the lawyer. You see, if we have some financial uh, trouble, oh, oh, we run to the banker. We run to our financial accountant. Now, we need all of these people. These are good trades and good professions. But you see who we often run to first. Now, God will certainly direct us probably to the hospital or to the lawyer or to the, the doctor, whatever the profession, but we need to run to God first. That's, that's the truth of it in practice. Back years ago, before people had hospitals they could run to, before they had, you know, the ability to run to a lawyer or go to their banker or something, before they had any of that ability, what would they do? They'd have to run to God, wouldn't they? It's sad, but, you know, sometimes when you hear Christians talk about all their troubles and they say something like, well, all I can do now is pray. And when you think of it, that's kind of backwards because they should have been praying first. At the first little sniff of trouble, it ought to, you know, scoot us to our Heavenly Father. He's our one-stop source. And so we've got a God who is not just almighty, but he's all sufficient. He's El Shaddai. Now, that's interesting. And so here it is. The usage of the, the, the names here is, is obvious. It's God, or as El or Elohim, the omnipotent, the, the almighty, the all-powerful one who helps us in our time of need. But it's God as Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, who satisfies us with abundant blessings of the breasts and of the womb. This clearly indicates the righteous a uh, loving God, Jehovah, cares for us as a mother would care for her newborn child. So we spoke of Ruth, who left Israel with her husband and her two boys in time of famine, and they went over to Moab. They made the mistake. Now, she came back, and she was bitter because she lost her husband, she lost both her boys, and she probably lost all of the sustenance and wealth she took with her. She came back, and she just tried to get her old home back. She was trying for that, and I think she did manage to get that. But she, came, she went out full and came back empty, and she blamed God for it. And she used the term Shaddai. And it's almost like she was saying, the all-sufficient God was not all-sufficient for me. But don't forget, Ruth and her husband, and I guess her boys too, they were out of the will of God when they left. You know, sometimes when the going gets tough, we're supposed to stay and stick it out and not go, not leave. 
Now, there's times you have to leave, but then there's times you don't. We're told in the Psalms there, uh, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. If you think of it, what happened to all the other uh, million or so Jews that stayed in the land during the, the famine? What happened to them? Did they all die? No, of course not. God looked after them. So Naomi and her husband, they went off to Moab. Her husband died. Her, her boys marry. Her husband dies. Both her boys die. And she said, what am I doing here? I may as well go back there. So as she turns to go, the two young girls go to follow her. And she, she turns and says, young ladies, there's no more sons in my womb. Go back, find men, marry them, raise children, have a good life. And one of them does. But the other one, named Ruth, says, you know, whither thou goest, I will go. Right? You remember that in chapter, chapter 1, was it? Yes, of course it was. What am I thinking of? It's chapter 1. She said that. And thy God will be my God, and where thou diest, I will die. Tremendous loyalty that Ruth showed. So uh, you say, well, that justifies what she did. No, it just shows the grace and mercy of God. Did you know that even on your worst day, when you wait, make your worst mistakes, if you give it back to God, God is still able to make something good come of it? Uh, King David, he should have been off to war, but he stayed home. And from his rooftop, he saw a beautiful young gal bathing herself. Now, what in the world was that girl doing? You're not supposed to do that up on your rooftop. Maybe she was trying to get King David's attention. There's all kinds of speculation on that. We, we just don't know. We don't know. But uh, he saw her and he went and he sent and he took her. And they had an adulterous relationship because she was married to another man who was faithfully off to war. Then she sends news, I'm pregnant. Whoa, the jig is up. And so he tries to... Uh, to bring her husband back and to get him drunk or something and go in there and uh, lay with his wife. He won't do it. He says, I can't. All my brethren are out on the battlefield. He even stayed that night outside the king's gate with the soldiers and he slept there. So David wrote the letter telling Joab to put him up near the heat of the battle and then withdraw. And that's what happened. He died. And so you have this horrible story but um, the second child born to Bathsheba, what was his name? Solomon, that's right. And so then we say, well, look, Solomon came out of it. So that justifies what they did. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. There were consequences to David's actions, just like there were consequences to Naomi's actions. So it's never right to do wrong, okay? So let's settle that one. But our, our wonderful God is still able to bring about something that will give him honor and glory. So just a little commercial there. But uh, Ruth, when she said, the all-sufficient one was not all-sufficient for me. So she had problems. She had a sin problem, and that was her sin speaking through her because that wasn't really true. She took herself out of the will of God. Here, listen, if you and I will just stay in the will of God, we will be sufficiently falsified. How about that? <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> we'll be sufficiently looked after. 
He will meet our needs. Oh, it may be tight. We may have to tighten our belt buckle a little, but he will not let us starve. He won't. When we follow El Shaddai, when we follow him and we do what he says, he will supply exactly what we need and when we need it. Now listen to what the Bible says about our all-sufficient God. Listen to this. Psalm 37:25. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. How about that? That's testimony. King David, he died at 70 years of age, right? Or wrong? Anybody for right? Any hands for right? Oh, three or four. Any for wrong? Okay, the answer is 70 years of age. He was 70 when he died. And he probably wrote this when he was in his 60s. So listen, here's a, a maybe a 65-year-old man. Listen, I have been young, but now I'm old. Doesn't that sound a little funny? Because usually the average life of the average Canadian is something like 83 or 85 or something like that. Of course, we got many more that go way beyond up into their 90s. Brother Tom Walker is an example of that. Now, if Tom Walker were in here on his, on his walker and shaky as can be, you know, and he took the microphone and Tom said, I have been young, but now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. We'd say, amen, amen. But you get a 60-year-old, a 65-year-old saying, I have been young, but now I'm old, right? Well, I was talking with a lady uh, today. Wasn't it today I was talking to Mrs. Storrs? Was that yesterday? It was today, wasn't it? It was today I called up Mrs. Storrs. How many remember Pastor Storrs from Bible Baptists in Everett? Okay. Uh, he's in a uh, nursing home, and uh, he's pretty frail, but he's still doing okay and he has his good days. Um, anyhow, I was talking with her, and so the, it came up in the conversation, I told, and she's, she's 75, I think, 77 maybe, something like that. And so I told her, well, I'm 62. And she laughed, this young schoolgirl laugh. Ha, ah, she said, you're so young. <laughs> she said to me, I said, tell that to my body. When I get out of the bed in the mornings, it doesn't feel like so young. I said to her, well, my 97-year-old mother-in-law would give anything to be 77 again. Though it's kind of all, you know, in perspective, I suppose. But King David, regardless of his age, said an, a valuable truth for us. He said, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Why? Because of El Shaddai, that's why. Because of a heavenly father that says, I am your father and I will look after you. How about Matthew 6, 31? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But do you know what comes next? Say it with me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's where the promise is. How can Jesus say that? It's because of El Shaddai. That's why we have a God who's not only almighty, he's all sufficient for every need that you and I have.
How about Romans 8.32? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? Say it. All things. Maybe some of you don't know it. But the words are all things. He will freely give us all things. Well, then why doesn't he? It's because we're not going to him. That's why. We're going about trying to meet our own needs according to how we think. And we're not going to him first in the first portion of the day and confessing our weakness and confessing our humility and confessing our limitedness and confessing that we're coming to a limitless God and a merciful God and a tender, compassionate, all-sufficient Heavenly Father. And when we approach him on this basis, boy, it really starts to make a difference in your Christian life. It takes, it takes getting into a habit. It's not going to be one day or two days you do this. It's going to take you a while to get in the habit of looking upon your heavenly Father as, as, as your, your, your very best of best of best friends, the one that you can come to and just cry before and bare your soul and your heart and weep and know that he, he would just gather you up into his arms and know that he will look after you. Boy, that's, that's comforting. These days we need comfort, folks. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And here's one in Colossians 2.10, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So in Christ... Boy, are we ever accepted. Wow, are we ever complete when we get saved and we're in Jesus Christ. Wow, oh wow. We've got an all-sufficient God who will lovingly meet all of our needs. You cannot name a need that he won't supply. Now, you can name some greeds. You can say, well, God, I don't understand it. I, I've bought lotto tickets for 10 years now, and I have not even won $10. Well, praise the Lord. You know, praise the Lord. Um, worst thing, you, you've heard me say this. <clears throat> what's worse than buying a lotto ticket? Winning. Yeah, that's worse. Same with the casino, folks. I hope that, uh, you know, you never go into a casino and put down some of God's money because he's the one who gave it to you. Take some of God's money and plop it down on that one-armed bandit or on that round thing with the little marble in it or something or those deck of cards and so on and try your chance at trying to double your money or something like that. And bingo is really no better. It's just an, a Catholic form of gambling that makes the Catholic Church rich. So, no, those things are not in God's will. We follow those things and we're sure to fail. Um, but if we follow God and do it God's way, God will always meet our needs. Let me tell you a story about George Mueller. He lived from 1805 to 1898 and he built many orphanages in England and by faith... He housed and fed and clothed and educated 7,000 orphans. Amazing, amazing. Plus, he pastored a church. Plus, he had a big printing house that he oversaw. Uh, 
he had a lot of people working for him. He had to pay all these salaries. Where'd he get the money? He got on his knees. He spent a long time on his knees. You may not know this, but George Mueller spent up to four hours a day, every day, locked alone with God in his study where he'd read scripture and get on his knees. He once stood and, and, and said to people, he said, I've had over 30,000 answers to prayer. He said, you may wonder how I know I have 30,000 answers to prayer. He said, because I wrote them all down. And that was his habit. Whenever he'd ask God for something, he'd write it in a journal. And he'd be praying for it. When the answer came, he wrote the date in when the answer came. The man believed in prayer. Why? Because he knew something about God. He knew that God was an El Shaddai God. Incredible man of faith. Now, this man of radiant faith kept a motto on his desk, a few words that kept encouraging him. And those words that would uplift him and give him confidence to his heart read like this. It matters to him about you. Never forget that. It matters to him about you. And one of his life verses that he chose for himself were the words of 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he, what? Careth for you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And here's an example from the life of George Mueller, one of the greats uh, of faith. The story of a construction crew that was building a new road through a rural area. And they were knocking down trees in the, uh, that were in the way. A superintendent noticed that one of the trees had a nest of birds that could not yet fly. They were too young. And he marked that tree so that it would not be cut down. Not quite yet. Several weeks later, the superintendent came back to the tree. He got into a bucket truck. You know what that is? The big truck with the big arm and the bucket. You know, the guy gets in it and they go way up. He got into a bucket truck and he was lifted up so that he could look into the nest. The fledglings were now gone. They'd obviously learned how to fly. So the superintendent ordered for the tree to be cut down. Listen, as the tree crashed to the ground, the nest fell clear and some of the material that the birds had gathered to make the nest were scattered on the ground. Part of the nest was a scrap of paper torn from a Sunday school pamphlet. That's part of what was in the nest. On the scrap of paper were these words, He careth for you. <laughs> you see, he does. He cares for even the little birds. Shall he not much more care for ye, O ye of little faith, right? Back in 1920, a hymn writer by the name of Edward Joy wrote the following words. Is there a heart or bound by sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden bearing, all your anxiety, leave it there. And the chorus, all your anxieties, all your cares. Bring to the mercy seat, leave them there. Never a problem he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus.
your heavenly Father can and wants to meet all of your needs and to supply you with all the wisdom you need and all the power you need. Abraham, at 99 years of age, learned a great secret that day on the top of Mount Moriah, that God, Elohim, the powerful one. Oh, I'm sorry, he was older than that. What am I thinking? Yeah, Jake, uh, Isaac had already been born. Abraham learned that God, Elohim, the powerful one, is also God, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, because he provided the ram that took the place of his son. Do you remember that? God wants to be our single source for all of our needs. You think whatever your needs are today, they may be financial, maybe a broken heart. It may be in need of wisdom for problems you're facing. It may have something to do with your health. Whatever your needs are, El Shaddai is the one who can meet every one of your needs. But ye have not because ye ask not. So by all means, we need to ask. Let's go to him now in prayer.